Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Next Move podcast. This is a podcast where we're essentially going to interview people who are making a change in India, whether it be through starting businesses or whether it be through creating organizations that work toward a more equitable society in India. We are getting into the minds of them in this podcast. So if you're looking for a podcast that takes you into the minds of some of the movers and shakers in India, then look no further because this podcast will definitely do that. So in this podcast, we talk to Anand Anand Kumar, who is the CEO and founder of Bugworks. And Bugworks is a company whose mission is to solve the lack of innovation in antibiotics over the last 60 years and the spread of global superbugs. Now, I didn't know what a superbug was until I talked to Anand, but a superbug is essentially a bug that cannot be solved through traditional antibiotics. And I will let Anand explain the enormity of this problem that they're solving because I won't be able to do it justice, but they're doing very, very, very big things. And, uh, you know, I think all of you are going to really love this podcast. And I certainly enjoyed recording it and talking to Anand because he speaks with such an energy and passion that is very, very unique. And that leads me into the three key takeaways I took away from this podcast and this discussion. The first one is that you have to have passion if you want to take on a monumental task such as getting a pharmaceutical drug to market, especially being a small player. It takes almost a billion dollars. You have to get, you have to get all of that from outside funding. And Anand goes into how he went through hundreds of people to finally get the funding that he has. He had to go through rejection after rejection. And after all of that, you only have a 5% chance of actually getting to market and then of that you would have to be successful selling in the market so it's a 10-year journey and if you don't have the passion uh, for a business you will not be able to make that long-term investment and uh, you know the next big thing was that that he talked about very very in depth is that people are so important and he talked about how he's lucky enough to have surrounded himself by the best people in their respective fields in order for him to get Bugworks to be at where it is. Uh, So surrounding yourself by the best people. And then the third point, which is a story that's very unique to Anand and his co-founding team is that they started Bugworks in their late 40s. They were in semiconductors for the first 20 years of their career and then made a late, late pivot into the biomedical field and it's an incredible pivot especially when you have no experience in it and you're trying to tackle such a huge problem but it just shows that it's never too late and it's never too late to continue learning and enter into a new field and bugworks are now doing big things in the pharmaceutical space so you know i think you're gonna very much enjoy this podcast listen in i very much enjoyed having a discussion hey everybody welcome to the podcast thank you so much for tuning in today as you've heard in the intro before this i'm lucky enough to be joined by anand 
who is the CEO of Bugworks and also runs an accelerator called Escape Velocity, which aims at growing innovation in the medical technology field. Arun, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, for having me, Arman. Uh, and uh, I appreciate your being interested in an esoteric subject like superbugs. So it's, it's great to connect. Thank you. I'm very interested in superbugs. It's something that I hadn't heard of, you know, as we were talking about before I had been to a speech that you made at TechSparks. And I, just before we get into, in, into the details here, could you just tell me a little bit and tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do to give them a brief introduction? Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Anand. I have, a, would like to think, a quite uh, interesting background. My background is actually in semiconductor physics. I'm a PhD in electrical and biomedical engineering uh, from the US um, and worked in the semiconductor industry in the United States and moved back to India in 2000. So it's been about 20 years in the exciting city of Bangalore, which is India's Silicon Valley. I did a couple of startups in the electronic space uh, that went really well. And then around 2008, 2009, so it's been about 11, 12 years, I did a complete reset and I moved from engineering into sciences or medicine and started self-learning various subjects in, in the medical um, areas and founded, co-founded a company called Cellworks um, back in 2007, 2008, also in uh -huh. Bangalore, to work on cancer therapeutics. And then from, cancer, from Cellworks, I spun out Bugworks. Uh, and right now I'm heavily involved in Bugworks in trying to invent new antibiotics for superbugs. So you could say it's a career of, gosh, uh, I'm losing count here. It's probably a career of close to 30 years, uh, spanning roughly 18 years in the semiconductor industry doing high-speed computer chip design and about a dozen plus years in the uh, biomedical sciences area. That, you know, that that's really amazing. I really want to get into later because I know a lot of people will resonate with that. That's an amazing form of a pivot, you know, a career shift, you know, so deep into your career is, is something amazing. And I, I want to dive a little bit into that sure. um, in a little bit. Let's start with bug works, though. What is a super bug and what, specifically what is antimicrobial resistance? Right. So if, if any of your viewers uh, or listeners uh, did a Google search on AMR, antimicrobial resistance or superbugs, thousands and thousands of articles will be there because it's a very current, hot relevant topic. Antimicrobial resistance simply means that uh, bacteria, fungi, and viruses are almost incurable nowadays by the existing treatments. So resistance means that the organism has become resistant to a particular drug or particular group of drugs. That is called antimicrobial resistance. Typically, when people talk about AMR, they're talking about bacterial resistance, not necessarily viral and uh, fungi. But the truth okay. is bacteria plus virus plus fungus constitute microbials and antimicrobial resistance simply means that your existing treatments are not working and we're losing too many people to simple infections. A superbug is simply a bacteria or a virus or a fungus that is pretty much untreatable or very hard to treat. You have to try one, two, three different types of treatments before you can treat it. In colloquial language, people, when they talk about superbugs that, that kill people in hospitals, they're traditionally or typically talking about bacterial superbugs. 
uh, and that's a type of uh, bacteria that we are working on in Bugworks, trying to invent a new class of antibiotics that can take out really, really harmful bacteria that may not be killed by existing antibiotics. So, um, Anand, how come there hasn't been innovation in the, especially in the antibiotics field, right. with this superbug? You know, I, I've read some amazing statistics online because even I had never heard about this before I, I'd heard you speak. And around 30% of all ICU deaths are related to some superbug, which may have been caught, or some bacteria, which may have been caught post a successful surgery, and someone has picked it up in their recovery. So how come existing antibiotics aren't meeting this need? That's a phenomenal question, and it's a multi-layered question. Antibiotics started in the 1920s with Alexander Fleming inventing penicillin, the single most important invention in the medical sciences, because one single antibiotic invention changed human life expectancy from the uh, 20, 25 years to about 40 plus years. That's amazing because we were all dying. Our forefathers were dying from sing simple bruises, from sim single cuts, from simple gardening um, related illnesses uh, because yep. of antibiotics. And then came antibiotics and became a real drug in the post-World War II. And you know, the rest is history. Antibiotics did a great job. And the magical years of antibiotics were in the 60s, maybe 70s, and then we lost it because most of those antibiotics did a good job, Arman. And, uh, you know, uh -huh. um, you have to appreciate the inventors of these antibiotics that are still lasting and working for, for most of us. Antibiotics is a complex area because it involves the environment, it involves animals, it involves humans. What happens is because of the abuse of antibiotics, too much of antibiotic usage by humans, use of antibiotics in animals, antibiotic waste being discharged from antibiotic companies into the uh, into water streams into our soil you yep. exposed you exposed your enemy to all your weapons and you constantly keep exposing your enemy to your weapons and the enemy in this case bacteria is able to come up with evolutionary intelligence and evolutionary skill sets to adapt itself and so resistance means the bacteria are becoming resistant to these antibiotics. So look at this perfect storm of a situation. No new antibiotics in, in, in many, many decades because the old antibiotics did a good job. And then the pharmaceutical industries pretty much walked away from antibiotics because there's not much money to be made in general in antibiotics compared to cancer or diabetes or uh, you know cardiovascular or, or BP because there once you get a patient, you get them for life. Whereas in yeah. antibiotics, in antibiotics, it's a five-day course, six-day course. Plus, any new antibiotic has to be used very carefully because you don't want to expose bacteria to your weapons. So what happens is, think about it. You spend a billion dollars, you come out with a new antibiotic, and you don't use it. You keep it under lock and key only for the tough patients that don't uh, that don't, uh, you know, are, are, aren't cured by existing antibiotics. So you don't have volume. You don't have the yeah. economics that is associated with all other areas of pharmaceutical sciences. So to summarize what I said, you have years of abuse of antibiotics that has given plenty of time and opportunity for bacteria and viruses and fungi. I mean, I'm spe specifically speaking about bacteria because antibiotics, uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, uh, the the bacteria um, yeah 
you have exposed the enemy to all of your weapons your your armor your uh, your weapons gallery is quite weak or non existent because you haven't invested in new antibiotics over the last 40 50 years it's a perfect storm and you can't suddenly say let me do an antibiotic it takes 8 to 10 years to come out with a drug 5% success rate nearly a billion dollars to get a drug out and you don't have money at the end of the pipe so everything yeah. is stacked, stacked against you it's a tough problem to crack scientifically because your enemy is constantly changing and you need to come out with drugs that are able to take the enemy out and the economics is also very challenging so scientifically difficult economically difficult and societies abusing existing antibiotics so you can imagine it's a double or triple whammy against you and this is why it's been horrible and these superbugs are ubiquitous they are impacting our communities they are certainly impacting our hospitals uh, about a million deaths per year and probably 35 to 40% of that total count comes just from india where we have a huge issue because of our density of population uh, of hygiene issues over abuse of antibiotics ability to get antibiotics without prescriptions so plus 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 india is really the epicenter of this problem and are we abusing antibiotics because that's the only solution right now so we doctors say look this could probably cure you and you know i especially want to go into later into your modeling of creating specific medication for specific people but is it like uh, we're just saying okay you know you have this and an antibiotic may help you with this infection so let's just give it to you and see what happens yeah so it's a very tough job being a doctor in india first of all you should understand that many parts of india uh, tier 2 tier 3 the pharmacist in your in, in the pharma shop is the doctor most of people just go to the pharma stop yeah shop sorry and they cough cough around and the guy just gives an antibiotic and most people may not be even able to afford a five day course they may take a two day course what happens is when you take an antibiotic course you need to take the right drug for the right bug you need to stick 5 to 7 days with it because it takes that much time to kill the bacteria if you only yeah. take it for one or two days you feel damn good because a large portion of the bacteria are dead but you have not let you you are actually giving chance to promote resistance with the remaining bugs in your body so the fact that people have access to antibiotics through pharma shops in india um and then what happens is doctors feel tremendous pressure because patients go to doctors and uh, say hey give me an antibiotic uh, you know i yeah. think i'm not well give me an antibiotic and in most cases you don't have the luxury of testing the patient to say whether they have a viral infection or a bacterial infection most of a common cold sore throat flu like symptoms are all viral they are not necessarily bacterial but the doctors under time pressure the doctors also under patient pressure to say okay just have an antibiotic so because of the availability of drugs in the local pharma store where you can get it with a prescription people take it for 1 2 3 days stop because doctors happily and merrily across india prescribe antibiotics you have too much too much use that is promoting resistance and the sad part of this narrative is unlike diabetes or heart issues you can pick up a superbug for no fault of yours sim- simply because it is it is uh, you know a communicable disease and a yeah. patient or a group of patients who have developed superbugs 
leave those superbugs in a hospital and a patient going through surgery there picks it up, uh, you know, it's tough. How do you stop it? As they say, bugs have no passports. So there's no way yeah. to stop. There's no way to stop spread. It's very, very difficult. So anyway, in a nutshell, easy availability, abuse of antibiotics in the poultry industry and even in the agro industry. Therefore, you spray too much of antibiotic around. Plus, there is no new innovation in trying to fill up your armamentarium with new drugs. Plus, doctors are under press, uh, uh, pressure to prescribe antibiotics. So this is the confluence. And on top of that, we do have a hygiene issue in our country, particularly with crowded hospitals, etc. Very easy to spread diseases in a high-density uh, prone uh, country like India. Wow. Yeah, the, the, you know, there's so much to unpack in what you just said, whether it be from lack of doctors, whether it be from, you know, hygiene or government regulation in pharmacy, you know, there's so much to unpack there. And I think we could definitely go on to like a two hour, three hour conversation there. But I, I do want to transition more into when you left the U.S. and you came to India and you came to start a business, you came with CellWorks. Um, you know, how come you made that transition, as you said, from semiconductors and then back to India and then to start a business? Uh, yeah. What was your what was your thinking here? Uh, I live on risk. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> a fantastic job in Silicon Valley for a company called Cadence uh, doing computer chip design. And in 2000, someone just trusted me that I would have, uh, you know, the talents to run a U.S. company in Bangalore. Although I had never worked in India, I did my undergrad uh, in Chennai. Uh, in, okay. uh, at a, in Anna University um, in electronics and then left Anna University in, in 1986. And, uh, you know, I, I was out of India, I'd never worked in India, but, you know, this group of folks in, in the Bay Area thought that I would be able to successfully, you know, handle their U.S. operations. So I moved as an expat with two small kids and a wife in 2000, uh, hoping that I'll be just here for two years and then move back to Silicon Valley because, you know, Silicon Valley was still happening. But yeah. then it's a very successful first company that we did called Spin Circuit uh, was in the electronics design space. That company got acquired by Cadence. And then I had the opportunity to start India and China operation for a U.S. company called Magma, also in computer chip design. So I'm not the original founder of those companies, but I'm the founder of the Indian operation of those companies. So the first few years, the first three to four years post moving here, I worked for setting up U.S. companies in India and doing some amazing work in uh, electronics uh, design and fascinating opportunity uh, to lead up India and China uh, for, for these U.S. companies. And things were going really great, uh, Arman. And then you know, I, I constantly had this thought process that I want to do something really bigger for mankind. I come from a family which has many famous doctors and scientists in Chennai. Uh, my father was the head of... Uh, the medical college, local medical college here in Chennai, and you know, brother's wow. a doctor, and we have a family hospital, etc. And maybe, you know, in the back of my head, I always want to do something for humanity. And then I had my own challenges. I I nearly died twice uh, with two very serious um, health issues that hit me. And as someone who always looks for the best in in, in adversity, I thought, wait. If I could survive two major illnesses back to back, there must be something beyond just running a, a, a comfortable corporate life. And I looked within yeah. me and I looked for signals within me uh, for what was the purpose. And I found that in science and said, 
let me use the same modeling and simulation techniques that we use to do computer chip design in modeling the human body for, for oncology and cell works happened. So cell works happened around 2007, 2008, almost eight years into my having moved back here. I would say it is the listening to my inner voice and making taking full advantage of what looked like near-death experiences in my life and converting them into something that I hope uh, and I still do hope that would make a huge difference to humanity. Not that working in engineering and working for a corporate job is bad. There's nothing right or wrong. It's just that I felt through science, if you can do breakthrough work in cancer, and I never knew I'd get into infection, but now with breakthrough work in infection, you can impact millions of lives uh, you know, all over the world, uh, you, even without your knowing where all this positive vibes and these positive energies can go through. So it's fantastic that, you know, you can think very, we can look, you can zoom out and look at the world at large and feel that you can do a small, play a small role in making such a big difference. That's what caused me to move from semiconductors into sciences, but it was not easy. And my mid forties, giving up a nice career and yeah. taking anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, microbiology, and self-studying these subjects um, was not easy, but it was a fantastic way to retrain and retool myself. And to be honest, my knowledge of science is very superficial. I just know enough to put together a good business, to put together a strong business case, and to make to try to come up with solutions that can benefit mankind. I was very fortunate to work with very smart scientists, both at Cellworks and at Bugworks. So all credit uh, to my colleagues who do all the science. I, I, I just I just put things together. Wow. And I think, you know, that, that thought of being someone who's from business and who can go into a new field and, you know, make sure they gather the right talent because that, that kind of sounds like what you did, you and your co-founder. You made sure that you had the best, best talent to be able to innovate and you are kind of, like you're saying, piecing it together to make innovation. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm a big picture guy. And if, if at all there are any talents I have, it is in identifying people who are way smarter than me and allowing them to, to you know, pretty much, you know, do whatever it is that they want and providing the environment to them. And number two is to zoom out and look at large problems that impact humanity and say, oh, superbugs, lack of antibiotics, India at the epicenter, we're going to lose millions of people. Can we do something from that, from India for the world? So it takes, maybe that's the type of crazy thought process, if you will, but you have to zoom out, look at the big picture, and then find the right people all over the world to put together to try to solve the problem. So, so is that what drives you on a daily basis to solve such a huge, you know, probably an endless problem? There will always be some new bacteria. There will always be some sort of superbug yeah. that's affecting people. So is that what, what wakes you up in the morning saying, you know, I have to at least be someone who's progressing and helping people out. Right. I, it's a great question and the sort of answers built into the question. So wake up in the morning. It's very easy for me because I'm connected to antimicrobial resistance ecosystems all over the world. And every day there's bad news breaking out from, you know, um, uh, infections are spreading. People are dying. 150,000 to 200,000 babies in India die. Uh, less than wow. day, 21 days age, uh, they die. It's called neonatal sepsis. Natal because it's babies, sepsis is bloodstream infections. And I asked myself, I said, I'm in my, I'm um, in, uh, you know, basically in my 50s. My co-founders are in the 50s, in their 50s. 
we probably have another 10 years of, of, of good productive work and said, man, here is an opportunity. We are so close to cracking this problem that no one else yeah. is from this part of the world. You know, let's continue doing it. And we know success is exceptionally elusive. And because you're dealing with such a difficult um, um, environment, uh, you know, we stay humbled by the fact that success is indeed elusive. But really drives me. I want, we want to be able to, in the next few years, bring a drug out that can save humanity. And the beauty is once you crack it and you bring a new antibiotic, if it's really good, as we think ours would be, that antibiotic can go for 30, 40 years. Imagine yeah. the millions of uh, babies or millions of uh, adults it can save all over the world. And to have that innovation coming out of India is actually very, very exciting. Because every time I go out of the country for talks, people look at India and say, you guys are, are the epicenter of the problem. Now there's an opportunity to sit in the table with the United Nations, with the WHO, with the CDC to say that we are here solution providers from India, not just to talk about the problem. And that's the change in narrative that we want to bring about. Wow. And Anand, I just want to say, just by you know feeling the energy of when you speak on this issue, I, I feel that you have much more than 10 years of hugely productive work in this area. Because you know <laughs> it's amazing that you have so much passion to this. Thank you. And I, I, I really want to uh, you know discuss now, you, you completely move fields from semiconductor to cell works, working on cancer-related you know, medication. Now, and then you moved to Bugworks eventually and started this company. Now, what were the big challenges that you faced in especially having to, I, I know you said you're learning at a high level and you're piecing things together, but I'm, so, I'm sure you still have to learn a lot and, you know, transition very, very quickly. What, what are some of the challenges you faced here and how did you, you know, overcome those challenges? Great. Fantastic question. Uh, challenges are multiple layers. One is just understanding science, um, you know, even though superficial, it, it's hard. Science is hard. I have been an electrical engineer. I think the physics and mathematics background uh, that engineer has allows her or him to move into biological sciences. The reverse is not okay. true. I find biologists struggling with technology, struggling with physics, but the reverse, if I may say with all humility, that if you have background in mathematics and physics, there is an and you have interest in biology, you can pick up biological sciences, but it is tough. The terminologies are hard, and you're yep. already in your 40s, you're not a, a medical school uh, student. It was tough. And then you're hired, you're trying to put together all these scientists who are super smart that you want to work with. And for them to respect you, you need to know at least enough science to be able to communicate cogently with them. So that was a huge challenge to learn, ask all the dumb questions. Even though I had peaked in my career, you set aside all your past laurels, you set aside all your ego and say, I'm going to go back to, to 101, learn as much as I can from these super smart people. You acknowledge they are smart. You acknowledge that you are learning. And then they slowly start respecting you because they know that you have your heart, heart in it, number one. Number two, to create a business out of science in India is also a huge challenge. As you know very well, most of these companies will die in India, in biotechnology industry, because it's a 10-year gestation. They have smart scientists, but they don't have strong, aggressive business drivers who can drive the science, raise funding, etc. So raising funding was the second layer of challenge. And the way we, we addressed that in Cellworks was my co-founders were in the Bay Area. So we made sure that every company that I've been involved with, there is a Bay Area presence and a Bangalore presence. So you use the best of, of the Bay Area footprint and you're the best out of Bangalore. 
you know, Bangalore has got a vibrant academic ecosystem, has got talent that's the most affordable talent in the world, has got a great scientific, uh, scientific, um, uh, the scientific discourse is very good in Bangalore. But you need Bay yeah. Area to be connected to the business end of things. You need Bay Area to be connected to investors. So we had fantastic investors in Cellworks and Bugworks because we played the card correctly between the United States and India. So my biggest challenge was, as I said, getting into the science, understanding it for myself personally, and it, you know, asking really baby questions and learning my way up. Um, and uh, the, the bigger problem is how do you take a bunch of scientists who are doing great work in India, keep them excited and engaged for 10, 12 years? How do you show them the way ahead to close funding? How do you keep investors invested in you for a 10-year journey? These are yeah. big challenges that they don't teach you in, in um, any, any MBA program because you have to invest in your investors and in biotechnology. And I say this for anyone who wants to do a science-based startup. It's a minimum 10 years. And which investor or investors are going to back you for seven to 10 years because they have to believe in you, your passion, your message, your vision, your, your results. Uh, and then they somehow hope that they will make some money too at the end of seven to 10 years. That is a bigger challenge than the science, Arman, is getting funding out of India. Because in India, most of the funding for startups, when people say India is doing great for startups, it's in areas like tech. And I love tech. Uh -huh. I love tech. It's for e-commerce, uh, mobility, payment gateways, neobanking, fintech. These are the hot areas in India. It's very hard to find investors who would put deep science money in India. So you have to go with the begging bowl all over the world. I would probably like to tell you that for Cellworks, I must have pitched, I, uh, my, me and my colleagues must have pitched to 120, 120 investors before we got funded. Wow. And in Bugworks, I put this on record, we pitched to more than 200 investors. Wow. Right? So it, it can be humiliating. And then you say, no, 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 no. I have a larger overarching goal. It's okay to be slapped. It's okay to be snubbed. I'm just going to go at it relentlessly. It means relentless, relentless pursuit of excellence. That's but what isn't there, isn't there like something after you faced your first, your second, but your 50th rejection in your case, you, you went to 100. How did you keep, you know, you know, even at the most driven people, I would assume that so many knockdowns must be hard to take. What, what kind of mindset did you get yourself into saying, no, I'm going to go to the next, next meeting with just as much energy and just as much confidence behind, you know, this idea to make a change? Is it because that you had such a purpose-driven mission and it wasn't, you know, money-related or you weren't looking for a big payout, but, you know, it was so purpose-driven that you were able to keep pushing through? The only way to do what you're doing, sitting from India, I'm being specific, although we are a U.S. company with a presence in India, is doing fundraising from India is a huge challenge for biotech. I must answer your question in two parts. One is there was good support from the Indian government, actually. In the early days, the support from Department of Biotechnology has been fantastic. And it wow. needs to be stated that DBT and BIRAC, which is a group of DBT, government institutes, have set up a dozen incubators in this country. And many of us, including Cellworks, Bugworks, worked out of these incubators. So it made it easy for us. We don't need any plant and machinery. This is the beauty of India in the last 10 years. Plus the early grant funding that came from the government, I should state it for record, has been great. 
But once the grant funding runs out, you hit this huge valley of death. And to get through this valley of death, my God, you just have to go in. You have to cross that valley. And, you know, you have very little fuel. You have very little water. You have very little oxygen. And I have to cross the valley of death. It's easy to throw up the arms and say, forget it. But then if you want to solve large problems like environment uh, or healthcare or, or food, I think the DNA of the founding team will be driven not by money, but definition will be driven by these overarching goals of doing something good for humanity and saying that I'm just going to hope that that overarching passion combined with some alchemy, which is the invisible hand of support coming from somewhere is going to take me across those valleys of death. That is no simple prescription otherwise. Wow. Wow. That, that is very powerful. And I, I, I just want to ask you now, and the last question about Bugworks is that where are you guys in terms of getting your Wait. antibiotic out? And, you know, how close are you potentially to, you know, having a drug on the market? Beautiful. We are done with most of the preclinical work, Arman, and the good news uh, for the audience and, and, and for sciences. Based on everything we see, we have tested on more than 4,000 superbugs from all over the world, and we've been able to clear each one of them. So ours is potentially a broad-spectrum novel class of antibiotics. It's working fantastically in laboratory. It's working great in animal models, and we are going through our safety studies. The biggest concern with the new drug and a new mechanism will be safety because humans have never seen this compound and every drug has got a side effect. The question is whether you're doing more harm or you're doing more good and the harm is okay, right? It's always a risk-reward risk ratio. That's drug discovery. Um, and we are completing preclinical work in a couple of months and I, I you know, wish us luck. If that goes well, we will enter clinical trials in Australia later this year for phase one. Phase one means... You are just trying it on 40 to 50 healthy humans to make sure that there's no side effect of the drug. You're not seeing whether it works. You only want to make sure it doesn't harm a human. If the phase sure. one is successful in Australia, we will come to India for phase two. Phase two means real patients, tough to treat patients, and then we will be compared with existing drugs. So if everything goes well with some scientific luck and some grace uh, of alchemy, we should be dosing our first patients in a clinical trial in India mid-2021, mid which is not too far away. And then we can, if that is successful, a drug could be in the market in about 2023, 2024. It's a long, painful, arduous cycle with multiple values of death, uh, and many things need to come together. Just so that your audience knows, it takes 10 to 12 years to do a drug, about a billion dollars with a B with 5% wow. success rate and more than 600 steps in biology and chemistry and manufacturing have to come together successfully to deliver a drug. So the next time you take a medicine or your family takes a medicine, give a small thanks to that unknown group of scientists somewhere, somewhere in the world who cracked the problem for your family because this, these are tough things. And countries like India don't invest enough in doing novel pharmaceutical research. So, you know, it's tough doing it from here. As I said, thanks to support of the Indian government, we have come thus far, but we still don't have the investor support uh, to go all the way from India. And if I didn't have an international presence, if I didn't have an international team, if I didn't have the support of the United States government, we won't be where we are. 
Wow. And I, I just want to uh, congratulate you and thank you for doing this, you know, this, this purpose-driven mission because, you know, I'm sure it will have a big impact and, you know, we need more people and more organizations like Bugworks to do these kind of, you know, jobs to help the millions suffering from this kind of issues. Thanks, Ed. Uh, so I thank you. That's a big point, right? And what's happening is you talk to any of any family members or doctors around you in India, you will find every family knowing someone who went in for a surgery or went in for a minor procedure in the hospital and picked up an infection uh, and Definitely. stayed for many weeks or unfortunately had to die. Babies upon birth dying in many states in our country. Women still dying from child delivery. It's unbelievable that in 2020, we are such a developed nation, such great things happening in India, but still we have so many deaths happening directly because of un unsolvable infection. It's unbelievable. It feels, and the scary part is if, if we don't do enough antibiotics and companies are not able to make a living doing antibiotics, can you imagine a situation where nobody works on antibiotics uh, and you, know, you don't have anything in the pipe and you can't overnight say, give me an antibiotic. So this is the tough situation we are hoping with. Our biggest challenge today for Bugworks, two challenges, and I hope we get through both. One is if our safety data is good and we are safe in human being, we'll make a big impact to humanity. No problem. As long as the safety is good. And we should know yeah. that uh, sh shortly. Number two is even if we are safe and we're able to go to man, the economics around new antibiotics is difficult. Many governments all over the world are trying to create a new economic model to make it viable for small companies to innovate in this space. So yeah. this, these are our biggest challenges. And I ho I'm hoping that the Indian government will also step up and support new drugs because we need it more than any other country in the world. You know, completely agreed. And, you know, I, I wish you the best of luck Thank with you. that moving forward. And I, I just want to come to some of the closing questions. Sure. You know, you, you do so much. I, I've read a lot about you. You're, you run two organizations. You're part of a charitable organization, which I know means a lot to you, uh, called Child. And I want to give you the opportunity to speak about that. Sure. Um, what is Child? And, and then uh, a post a uh, short question is, how do you manage your time effectively to make sure that you're focusing your energies on the right thing? Sure. Both are fantastic questions. Uh, my, my father, Dr. Sh the late Dr. Shankaran, uh, was the, the first doctor in India in 1983 to look after the first AIDS patient in our country. So patient number one, wow. actually was called, uh, was went through treatment with my father. And of course, he passed away because we didn't have good drugs in those days. So my family, my family has... Uh, a very long and powerful history with HIV. Uh, my father was the first doctor to be trained by the WHO to treat HIV patients in this country. My brother, who's a very famous surgeon, Dr. Rajkumar in Chennai, does surgeries routinely for HIV patients where nobody else would touch. So I always had this uh, interest towards doing something towards HIV. And I came across Child and became a co-founder of Child in 2005. So it's been about 15 years. And there was a fantastic noble soul uh, in Chennai who had no money in his pocket, but started taking care of orphans, HIV orphans, basically people who die of AIDS in government hospitals and the children would be left behind like baggage or thrown into garbage. And he picked up the first three kids literally from garbage situation and he had no money in his pocket and he started child. And I was introduced wow. to this great soul who's far younger than I am, but who's far more uh, uh, you know, giving and I learned a lot from these folks. And I was fortunate to become a co-founder of Child. And today, we have 25 boys who are residential in the program. Many have graduated. 
and moved on to jobs. So we keep backfilling. And we're also taking care of about 110 girls, uh, most of whom are HIV positive. My boys are HIV negative, but the girls are HIV positive. And this okay. is child is a home that takes care of young children who are abandoned, orphaned by society just because of the HIV stigma. And by through education, vocational training, getting them placed in jobs, we're trying to do a small thing that we can to society. That is child. And the way I'm able to run the mad life that I have, doing multiple things, working on multiple associations, is because I work with very smart people. I'm really, really fortunate to work with brilliant minds um, in everything I do. And I like my best to acknowledge the fact that someone is good and offer them a very open, virgin territory for them to do whatever it is that they want to do and pull back and just connect the dots. So I feel if people understand you know, that you can bring really, really smart people together, give them, completely empower them, um, obviously hold them accountable. And if your passion is true, then you can use that as a gel to gel a bunch of people together and take them along. And you don't need to do all the work. All the hard lifting is done by your colleagues. And you are simply putting it, pulling it all together and doing the important job of identifying the dots and connecting the dots. Wow, that's that's very powerful, you know, especially for for me, that really resonates a lot because I'm someone from, you know, who doesn't have a super technical background. But, you know, knowing that you can still pursue something that you may not have the necessary skills for, but you can partner with the right people, you know, you know, that's that's definitely very motivating. And it's good to know that there is real world examples of this. Thanks. And just before, you know, I, I want to close on this question. I ask every guest that comes on the podcast is that if at the end of your career, you know, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, and you've, you've achieved everything you've wanted, you've got your, you know, your uh, antibiotic on the market, you've, you know, you're helping so many children through child and you, you've achieved everything you wanted to achieve a two part question is what, what is the title of that autobiography that you want it to say? Like you're leaving a, a book behind. What is the title? And what is the, the main learning? It can be one, it can be two, it can be three, that you want to leave behind to people as you're finished up your career. That's a brilliant question, tough question. I think the answer is very similar uh, to both the questions. Um, I, <laughs> if there's ever an autobiography, I would want it to be that is how... How to read your inner voice and inner calling and convert, you know, things that, uh, how do I want to put it, your, your, uh, your trials in life into something that opens the best in you. Something around that. Because as I told you, if I didn't have those two medical emergencies in my personal life and I didn't take yeah. them so positively, I think I would have continued on in a corporate life. And it would have been a fine life. Uh, but it would not have been a special life. I think it's important to constantly look for the inner voice. Some people are able to find it without tough experiences. Some find it with tough experiences. So I want my autobiography to focus on tuning the radio, tuning your radio to that, tuning your antenna to that inner, inner voice frequency. And it's a tough frequency because it's surrounded with a lot of noise. In that noise, I want to pick up that channel your internal inner inner voice 
And that would be the autobiography. And the second thing I want to tell you is uh, what I'd like to leave behind is the only number or the only count that's worth keeping a tab off in your life is the number of lives you've touched or enabled. So if that becomes a mantra, and if that becomes your thought process and, and, and your introspection, you know, automatically everything else falls into place. You know, humility, uh, everything else comes in. If you realize then you say that the only number that matters to my life, to Anand Kumar's life, or to Arman's life, or to John's life, or to Praveen's life, is the number numbers of people's life that I have been able to touch. The very last comment my father made before he died, when I explained bug works to him in 2014. In fact, I thought I should give up bug works because it was so tough. And I remember his saying to me, he said, wow, man, I worked 53 years as a doctor. I saved maybe two, 300,000 people. But if you crack the science, you're going to help millions of lives. And then it, it resonated in me that the only number worth keeping a close tab on, the only balance is the numbers of life impacted by you. Even if it's two, it's three. A million, whatever it is, you need to impact some lives. And this is what drives me. So I want the autobiography to also focus on the inner voice. And if you listen to an inner voice, it will drive you towards making a difference toward, to humanity. Wow, that, that is amazing. And that's, that's such a powerful message. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. Anand, I want to thank you so much for your time. I, I learned so much. And I'm sure the audience Fantastic interview. so much. I loved your questions and thank you for the opportunity and I wish you and, and everyone who hears this podcast luck and let's do our bit. You know, we've come into this world and whether it's changing a small patch of land to make it more greener or enhancing someone's life by helping their education or their healthcare, there's so much of opportunity to make a difference to either the environment or to humanity. Thank you so much, Anand. I thank really, really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.